The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Crisis in Gaza continues to escalate, and I'm joined by the Executive Director of UNICEF Ireland, Peter Parr, in studio. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, you were there just before uh, the October the 7th incursion by Hamas into Israel. I was, yes. Uh, I was on a UNICEF monitoring uh, mission, uh, just looking at the conditions inside there, uh, seeing what sort of services were being provided and what was lacking. And it was, even then, it was dire. Uh, you're talking about looking back to almost like the 1950s or 60s, like back, almost back in time, such as the lack of services, lack of infrastructure, uh, lack of water services particularly was very clear to me. And what, what struck me most uh, about my time there, uh, Pat, was the fact that the almost the entire population are just incredibly dependent on trucks coming in every single day. We've heard about these famous trucks, but they they are incredibly dependent because they don't produce anything as such. No agriculture, no real industry per se. There's not a lot of room for it, in truth. We have two and a half million people in a tiny place. Well, yeah, I often say, you know, half the population of Ireland in about the size of County Louth. And remember about the population of Dublin has now moved within that incredibly confined area. So it's a very volatile situation. Uh, I, I found it, you know, it's very febrile in there. A lot of um, hugely densely populated, uh, very little services and, and water was a particular and yet, issue. Uh, people get on with it, I presume. Normal life when you were there just days before October the 7th, mm. normal life is carrying on uh, if, if, if you can call it, subsistence living yes. normal. If you can call that normal. Unfortunately, it's normal for them because uh, we met children who uh, knew of no other existence, were never outside the confines of Gaza. That's that's their world as far as they're concerned, with no hope of ever getting out uh, and lack of access to education, proper education, although we're working on that. Uh, so you came back and you knew there were problems there and how they might be addressed addressing the water supply, addressing uh, the food issue, addressing the education issue, and then October 7th happens. Yeah, it was a huge shock to see, you know, the the absolute atrocities of what happened on the the 7th. Uh, Innocent people, young people going to concerts, people in kibbutzes, peace-loving people, absolutely massacred. There's no other word for it. And then, of course, hundreds of people taken in complete violation of all their rights and humanitarian law, uh, taken across to, uh, the border into uh, Gaza and kept as human shields and hostages now. It's uh, absolutely reprehensible. Now, the, the, the images that we got on television from inside Gaza, were you able to recognize like some of the places that you'd been which were now flattened yes we were in many buildings inside gaza city uh, and i didn't recognize them because they weren't there they were flattened but the streetscape uh, you might say i think i was there we, we were all over gaza city uh, visiting various different projects uh, hospitals food centers uh, trauma centers and so forth uh, many of those are now gone and tragically i think every single day Pat, that uh, some of the children that I would have met are now sadly have lost their lives or terribly, terribly injured or displaced down to the And traumatised. And of course, it was one of the things that I spent particular time on looking at uh, children who were traumatised by their previous experience in living what is life in Gaza. And they were traumatised. They needed a lot of psychological support. And I can only imagine now what it'll be like for those children because trauma of this nature lasts children for a lifetime. Now, the Israelis got out of Gaza. 
because they were finding it uh, impossible, very difficult to administer. Mm. They got out, but then they blockaded it because they wanted to try and secure um, uh, their own territory from attack from within Gaza. It's safe to say they did not succeed in, in that enterprise. Well, when when I crossed in over the uh, the Ezra crossing, that's on the north, it's completely blockaded now, uh, other than obviously Israeli troops coming in. But uh, that was the most secure border that I have ever had to cross in any humanitarian context ever. Extremely hard to get through uh, the Israeli crossing and then the Hamas uh, crossing. I wasn't down at the Rafah crossing itself, but the the impression one gets right outside Gaza is that it was incredibly secure uh, uh, with the fencing and so forth and uh, all the security around it. Obviously, that was not uh, the case. And obviously, the massacre took place on the 7th of October. Now, what needs to be done today? Because you've got all these displaced people, you've got many people in need of urgent medical care. Um, The power is at best intermittent in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. The hospitals are overwhelmed anyway. I mean, what's to be done? Because Israel is determined to keep going until they root out Hamas, however long that takes. Well, we are hearing increasingly desperate reports now about what it is like inside in Gaza. Only yesterday, uh, Tim, uh, Tom White, the uh, head of UNRWA, our sister UN agency, the most senior UN person in Gaza, uh, said it was on the verge of collapse. One of our uh, colleagues, uh, Nesma, uh, reports that she she is in a very confined area, unable to provide food or clean water for her children. This is a UN agency staff uh, and desperately terrified for for her own children. But on the wider scale, then I was in a deep one of these de- five desalinization plants. I was in one of them and saw how incredibly effective and modern they are. Enough capacity to provide one plant providing water for four hundred and seventy thousand people. That's inoperable now at the moment. That needs fuel and it needs chemical reagents. And the thing about it is that those supplies are on the Egyptian side of the border, ready to come in, ready to make those plants operable and ready to provide clean and water they have not people. been targeted by the Israelis thus far. But they, they haven't been targeted. that would be undoubtedly a war crime. But no caveats a, there. It, Absolutely, water uh, infrastructure or anything like that absolutely has to be protected under humanitarian law. But these these plants are ready and available to provide clean water. We have the capacity with the chemical reagents for the desalinization process. It also needs fuel, obviously, as well. But people are in desperate supply of water and that gives rise to secondary humanitarian crises. Hundreds of trucks lined up at the border at Rafa. Mm-hmm. Um, who are the, the big donors? I mean, obviously, the... UN and your own organisation, you raise funds to do mm. what you need to do. But there, there has been huge generosity in terms of supplying stuff for the people of Gaza. Oh, right, right across the world, there's a huge logistical supply chain in operation now with hundreds of trucks, as you say, uh, and uh, huge amounts of aid uh, warehoused and stockpiled on the Egyptian side and much, much more ready to be replenished. We've just got in 13 trucks uh, so far, but we could bring in hundreds of trucks of aid. You're talking about water, water purification tablets uh, for, uh, as I said, my colleague Nesma's children who can't drink the filtered water uh, now, uh, medical supplies, tents, blankets, all these supplies are ready and available to be brought in. And that is why we echo the call from everybody. 
all of our sister UN agencies that at the southern crossing there needs to be a sustained and stable uh, pathway for aid to come in on a daily basis. Um, is it difficult to talk to your people? Uh, we heard there was a, another communications blackout, probably instigated by yeah. the Israelis. Well, uh, in the last 24 hours, yes, we've uh, there has been a blackout. But before that, we were hearing reports from our people inside there and they are mm. harrowing, is the word I would I would describe. They are in the same boat as everybody else. They're not in a privileged no. uh, position. One of our college, uh, colleagues is in a small apartment with 17 people and no toilets, working toilets, no water, no sanitation, no hygiene. They have to uh, to go out for all of these things. And that's, you know, that, that gives rise to other issues as yeah. well in terms of sanitation. And, and you know, in, in Ireland, if you found yourself in a, as many people probably did, an electric picnic and mm. they couldn't make a latrine, they could go around, find a bush or something. Yeah. Try, to, try that in a, a tiny place like Gaza with two and a half million people. Yeah. It's just not possible. It's and in fact, possible. latrines is one of the things, water, sanitation, hygiene is a big area for UNICEF under the UN system. Uh, and we have those sort of capacities to bring in uh, large scale latrines uh, for people because there is the, the water treatment plants, whatever about the water, the treatment plants for sewage, they're all inoperable. And no. there is so much raw sewage just pouring into the Mediterranean. It's it's absolutely terrible. Um, what can anyone do? I mean, there are calls for a humanitarian pause. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have the Israelis saying there will be no ceasefire. That would be tantamount to surrender uh, Mm -hmm. to Hamas from their perspective. Um, The Rafah crossing is kind of going to be a little bit easier today, but for personnel. For personnel, I I didn't ask your uh, answer, your earlier question directly, Pat, in terms of the the, the funding for all of this. Yes, the, the primary uh, operator on the ground is uh, the United Nations, various UN agencies. UNRWA is the primary agency which is specifically set up just for the, uh, p- providing aid to Palestinian people. World Health Organization, World Food Programme has an enormous role uh, to play here as well as uh, UNICEF and our implementing partners such as the Egyptian Red Crescent, other organisations. But the, the countries of the world who support the United Nations, including Ireland, it should be said, who makes substantial contributions to the United Nations and UNICEF, it should be said, they're the funders. So in in a way, the people of Ireland are funding uh, this huge supply and logistics operation, which, as uh, I'd like to repeat, uh, has enough capacity and we have enough supplies to service the people who need help. So the supplies are there. It's a question of opening that border. Um, Israel is preoccupied with the notion that some fuel, were it to go in instead of going to a desalination plant, would go to Hamas. Um, I I, I somehow, I doubt that, you know, if it were protected by uh, UN personnel and so on, it could go straight to those plants and be installed. It's, uh, I mean, even Hamas must be running out of water. Well, yes. Well, all, all I can speak for is my personal experience. When I when I saw the sort of uh, people we work with on the ground, like we work with civil society organisations, NGOs, small local groups who were entirely focused on alleviating suffering of people. So things like water, bread, blankets, uh, medicines, you know, you can't 
put those into rocket launchers. They can only go in and service people. And that's why there, there really is no excuse not to allow uh, this aid in. But we need the security for the people who, the drivers of the trucks, for example, the people who unload those trucks, they all need to know that they're safe in, in doing this supply chain logistics operation. What are you hearing about the RAFA crossing today? What's going to happen? Well, it's it's been opened today just for, uh, and thankfully, just for uh, a approximately 87 people who are very, very seriously injured and need very specialist care. Uh, ambulances are able to bring those out and there are field hospitals on the Egyptian side of the border uh, and also dual passport holders. We expect about 200 people uh, with dual passport, uh, passports to be able to get out today. But uh, the aid situation in terms of the, the uh, reverse uh, trucks coming in uh, we got 37 trucks in uh, yesterday uh, servicing various different agencies, but we need treble that, we need quadruple that every single day in a, in a coordinated and planned way. So it can be, it's not just bringing this humanitarian aid over the border and just leaving it there. This has then got to go into a complex supply chain with all of the partners that I mentioned. That's what we're preparing for. That's what we're working on at the moment on the ground with our other sister UN agencies. Mm. Um the, the solution uh, long term, I don't know. We talked yesterday with a, an Israeli academic who talked about, you know, it's got to be taken really from Hamas, the whole Gaza Strip uh, and run by a third party. Uh, Egypt was the one of the suggestions. What do you think? Well, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that question, Pat. It's a, it's a legitimate question. It's a right question uh, to ask. But we are uh, a neutral agency. We're impartial. Our sole focus is on nothing but the delivery of humanitarian But aid we know, for example, our people. own troops are part of the UNIFIL operation uh, in Lebanon. And, you know, they're there to keep the peace and monitor what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, what would it take to do the same for... Gaza. Well, in in my opinion, uh, again, uh, with that caveat I, I mentioned, it's going to need an absolutely enormous uh, a global agreement to solve the situation in the long term. But that's the long term. Uh, the situation has been prevailing since uh, 1947, as we know. And the uh, the but the immediate concern is is what we're focused on, and we're talking about a humanitarian catastrophe unfolding before our eyes in real time. It is a desperate situation. Peter Parr, Executive Director of UNICEF Ireland, thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.